Surgical Summer Volume 1. We gonna take this slow. We just gonna peel it back layer by layer. Yeah. So Sean has been resistant to this idea, but it is my call. And this is going to be Potpourri Episode Part 2. I was on vacation. I had no say in this. Yeah. You probably wouldn't be here if it was if it was your choice. If I had the choice, you're right. I wouldn't. <laughs> Welcome back to the Lines 24-7 Podcast. Uh, potpourri episodes mean basically we're going to hit upon a variety of different things. In the last couple episodes, I noticed we skipped the rundown at the beginning. So I think for veteran listeners, they knew what was going to come. Eventually, we're going to end in a mailbag, do a variety of different segments in between. But for people who are new to the program or just joining us or finding out how nicely we do things around here uh, – Here's the rundown. So we're going to start talking recruiting in June. A couple of Penn State targets have announced that they're going to be committing within the next 10 days, one of which is going to be on Friday. Then we'll jump into Penn State's priority remaining with the class. Again, they're in the top 20 national rankings right now with the recent surge from a couple of weeks ago. Going to go up. Yeah, going to go up. Um, it's pit week on the site. I've been writing about pit much to some of your dismay. It doesn't matter because, you know, again, we're going to run through the first six opponents on Penn State schedule. Each gets a week. We'll talk about that matchup, everything that goes into it. Moving on from pit, this is a question I posed to you via text and we haven't really talked about until right now. And we'll probably for another 15, 20 minutes. But, but what would it take considering that pit is not going to be on the schedule consistently again after next season until 2030 at the earliest for Penn State to have a real rivalry. Oh. We're going to talk about that later. Well, you got some 15, 20 minutes to figure it out. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, and then we'll go with another edition of our stupid Penn State power rankings, again, born from the offseason, because, again, you shouldn't be taking your football so seriously in the spring. Also, it's hashtag content season. This has become one of our most popular segments ever, which I'm very happy about. Yeah. Um, and then we'll move on to the mailbag. Really, really good, deep question in the mailbag this week. All right. Let's get going. Uh, recruiting, it's it's rolling right now, no doubt about it. Penn State continue, going to continue to try and fill up spots. And right now, the only news out there, uh, two new announcements coming on tap. Hakeem Beeman on June 1st, which is Friday, and Cameron Kelly moved his date up from June 8th all the way to June 7th. Hey, so, now. Drama. Um, it was enough for a story in the site, though, so we can't really knock it. It was. It was. And, and it's important um, because the Lewisine's coming in for a visit the next day. So is there anything that has to do with that? We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more on the site. But, uh, yeah, Hakeem Beeman was just on campus two weeks ago. Penn State sees him as a defensive tackle. I know there's a lot of questions out there from you guys about defensive tackle and where Penn State's going to go. Um, you know, they only need one, uh, maybe two if it's an athletic guy that can move around or whatnot. But Beeman fits that. He's a defensive end right now. Uh, probably going to be an interior guy at the next level. And and Penn State hosted him a couple weeks ago, opened his eyes a little bit. He, he's been on campus a few times. This is a kid that committed to North Carolina yeah. almost on the spot last summer um, at camp, really had no interest or no idea of what was going to go on in the recruiting process. North Carolina offered him. He's very high on the Tar Heels, um, then just committed right away. Started taking some visits in the fall, went to two games at Penn State, even without an offer. Um, that, ev- that eventually came, I think, in the winter um, after after his season and he came back last weekend so you know Penn State's gotten him on campus several times now and I think they've made a positive impression on him yeah there are a couple different players in there for his recruitment not many predictions logged in his crystal ball a couple for Virginia Tech a couple for Penn State I think now three for Penn State you have not entered one and I think you know from the outside looking in it's 
everything's moving very quickly for him. And again, for a kid who decommitted, you know, looking at a couple other schools, he also has offers from Alabama and Ohio State, visited both of those schools. You know, it's a, it's a good sign, I would think, that his, his decision is coming up so soon. But a lot of variables still in play. Yeah, it's a curious to see who, who would actually take him at this point, considering, you know, Alabama's got, I think, three or four defensive linemen in their class. And Clemson has taken a few defensive linemen as well. And Ohio State's there, you know, always recruiting great. Um, Penn State recruiting very well as well. I mean, it's just, uh, I think there's different options there. I don't think he's going to Virginia Tech. Uh, but, man, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how this one plays out, considering who's pushing for him. This is a kid that was going to announce in mid-June. For some reason, I haven't talked to him since he since he made the change. For some reason, decided to move it up to Friday. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Cameron Kelly, very different story. He has been a 100% Penn State. It's not even a lean. You're just, like, fully flat in the ground at this point. Uh, per the 247 crystal ball, since the blue-white weekend, Steve entered a crystal ball. You put one in. He had been, you know, a heavy projection towards Virginia that flipped to Clemson about January, February. That was still split. And things have slowed down, though, because it seemed like that commitment was imminent. But you're talking about a safety here as I shut my phone off. We're not going to put that in the outtakes, though. Reminder, outtakes episode coming up later this summer. Can't wait. Uh, Yeah, Cameron Kelly, uh, you know, felt really strong about Penn State coming out of the blue-white game visit. Then he takes those other visits. I mean, he went to Virginia a couple weeks ago. I believe he was supposed to be at Tennessee over the weekend. Uh, Really didn't pay attention to that from from my standpoint. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. I think you're going to see the crystal ball move away from Penn State. Um, You know, it's – Penn State has picked up, since that blue-white game, it picked up Marquise Wilson, Tyler Rudolph, Jaquan Brisker, still in it with Lewisine, and, and they can't take them all. I mean, we talked about right, this they a couple have weeks Nellis ago. to start, too. Yeah, so Keaton Nellis is there. Um, you can't take them all. And uh, is Cameron Kelly going to be the guy that's, that's left out in the dark because of it? Very, very possible. And, and, and we're talking about a four-star top 200 kid type here. I mean, that's, uh, that's saying something where Penn State is on the recruiting process right now. Right. So plenty of time to go with the defensive backs. Not so much when it comes to camp. I mean, like every kid in the summer, you know, you play football right now, you're going to be taking some trips elsewhere. Penn State coaches will also be on the road in what's just a packed month. Yeah. Well, Penn State's coaches are off the road now. Um, they, they'll get back home for camp, and June is incredibly uh, uh, busy schedule for them. They start Saturday on June 2nd with their first underclass showcase, another big camp weekend next weekend, June 8th, June 10th, uh, Friday, Sunday camps. Then they hit the road, Florida International, Old Dominion, Davidson. Then they come back for the Lions Strong 7 on 7 at Big Man Challenge, which is always one of the bigger camp weekends of the week, or excuse me, one of the camp bigger camp happenings of the summer. Um, go back to Miami U in Ohio, Northern Illinois, and then back at, uh, at Penn State in, on the 22nd. So between now and June 22nd, I think that's uh, eight camps or eight days of camp. So it's going to be – they're going to be exhausted. I mean it's it's really crazy. Um, there will be a lot of kids on campus. Probably not this uh, this first camp, but into June 8th, June 10th weekend, I think is probably going to be when you see more of the quality on campus. So uh, it should be fun. It's always fun to follow. Um, we just started being able to do this in the last couple of years. Bill O'Brien opened camps for us. And then, of course, all the satellite camps happen and all that kind of crazy stuff. But they've limited it to 10 days in June and July, which I think is a good rule for the coaches. You're not you're not seeing Michigan go on 24 or 25 satellite camps anymore. So I think that's a good rule. But I think it also gives kids an, an opportunity to get on campus, uh, show out for these coaches. They'll bring in committed guys to work with the coaches. Some of those guys that you know that are top prospects, they want to see if they can you know 
open up the door for them, you know, give them a chance to come in on board and see what happens. So camps are always probably more exciting for me than it is for you. But, you know, <laughs> yes, a, a year Having ago, been last year, we'll yeah. confirm for everyone. You went else. to a camp last year. And Might like, have been two. We, we uh, figure that out. Yeah. But uh, no, it's, it's fun to see because you got guys like, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Lance Dixon here in a second. Lance Dixon didn't have any offers, maybe a, a couple local offers at this time last year, came to campus, ran in the four fours. James Franklin put his arm around him, said, we're going to watch you. A couple months later, he's got a scholarship offer. So it's, it's one of those things where you can really jump on the scene. And we're probably talking more 2020 kids 20, than 2019 right now. But you can really jump on the scene and establish yourself. And, and it's going to help the coaching staff if they get you on campus right now. Louis Seen also in the mix there in terms of coming on campus to mention Lance Dixon. The logjam at defensive backs makes it seem like he might not be as much of a priority now. You've already got four on board, spot for one more. But if you're going to make an exception, it's going to be for a top 50 guy. Where does he fit in in terms of they got to pick up some offensive and defensive linemen here, but you don't want to forget about a guy who could obviously make an impact from day one? Yeah, the priorities have shifted away from the secondary. But, I mean, this is a kid that I think we have him in the top 40 in, top, in 24-7 sports. I mean, this is a kid – you make room for, and you hate to say that because you can't. You you can only make room for a handful of guys. But Lewis Seen has been at the top of their board since they offered him. He, he visited last uh, last fall, moved to Texas, which obviously was not ideal. But Penn State's still in a strong position for him. So this is a kid that you're bringing in, and if, I think if you do stretch numbers for anybody, I think it's Lewis Seen. Okay. Anybody else to watch coming on campus or receiving more interest as a late? It's actually a big official visit weekend next weekend. Scene will be in town. Lance Dixon, who we talked about already, is going to be in town for his official visit. Michael Johnson Jr., quarterback for from from uh, Oregon. Um, you know, he's, he's he's a guy that. You know, do you need a second quarterback in this class? Looking at the numbers, probably not. And he's a four-star kid who wants to come for a visit. You're going to check him out. And if you can take him, you can take him. Because Michael Johnson is not the thrower that Taquan Roberson is. But, you know, Taquan Roberson is not the athlete that Michael Johnson is. So it would be a good uh, a good compliment to one another. So big uh, big official visit weekend. Next weekend, Scene, Johnson, Dixon. We've got some others uh, coming down the pike as well. Hunter Henry, the nation's top tight end, was supposed to be on campus this weekend uh, for an official visit. That's not going to happen because of his brother. Um, excuse me. Hudson Henry is the top tight end in the country. Hunter is his brother who plays for the Chargers. Got her. Tore his knee up. Family's going to go out for his surgery. I mean, that's you, you can't really say anything bad about that, but it just kind of happens. It's unfortunate for Penn State. Um, I think he'll reschedule. Penn State was in his top five, which is a pretty impressive top five. Stanford, of course, Arkansas is there as he's a triple legacy, I think it is. Uh, Clemson was in there as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Penn State – Will they get him? Probably not, but they, they've positioned himself to, uh, to to at least be in the in the picture. And for the nation's top tight end from Arkansas, doesn't really make any sense of why Penn State would be in that picture, yep. but but they are. So that's uh, that's what we're looking at right now. Uh, priorities still remain on the offensive and defensive line. We've got Caden Wallace in the boat. You'd love to add probably three more guys to that mix. We talked about it last week in the mm-hmm. podcast. It's going to be the same na- same names. Right. Keep recycling through uh, defensive line. Uh, we got a question in the mailbag about that later. Hakeem Beeman, of course, announcing on Friday. So, you know, if one of those dominoes does fall, we'll see what that happens or see what that means with some other guys. Um, And then uh, another linebacker, Lance Dixon, I wrote about Andre White on the site uh, yesterday. So we'll we'll see where that goes from that standpoint. And uh, another tight end, or excuse me, a tight end. 
not a priority in this class, no. but it, it's certainly a possibility. So I'm still stuck on Hunter and Hudson Henry. Yes. Like not only do you have the, the first names are similar, but you could flip their last name to first, you know, as you typically see in like a school book, Henry comma Hudson. Yeah. And it would be, you know, just as acceptable. Yeah. I don't you know if you know. can trust a tight end with two first names. I, I don't, mean, that's, 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 in, I mean, it worked out for the chargers except for a few days ago, but yeah. Um, He's really good, by the way. Like, do you think his mom ever just got super angry and called the other one by the wrong name because, you know, Hunter Hudson is just so close? Not that this makes her terribly interesting podcasting, but, really like, just if you're going to pick two names, like, maybe a little bit different. I, I mess them up all the time, as evidenced by two minutes ago. So, yeah, yeah but, uh, I mean, that's that, that's going to be where we're, where we're at going into June. It's going to be a very busy month. Will, will it be a busy month of commitments? Uh, I'm not sure that that's going to happen just based on the spots available. But then again, we just saw five commitments in five days. So it happens. Um, It's going to be different. And you and I were talking about this before. The dead period starts June 24th, I believe, and runs through July 23rd. It used to be two weeks long. Now it's about a month. Coaches go on vacation and things like that. So that's pretty cool um, from their standpoint. Um, But it does change things. It puts the lash bash at the end of July, changes your approach in June. I mean, those coaches are cramming those camps into June, and then you've only got one or two left in July. So um, that that's sort of a change this year, but I don't see it being a you know a huge difference for anybody. Um, getting back to commitments, you might see a rush of commitments in June na- nationwide. Penn State could be a part of that. It probably won't be the five in five days, but yeah, that, I think that's where they're heading. Yeah, that was almost unprecedented there. Outside of major events, lash bash. You know, blue white weekend, whiteout weekend. Yeah, and credit them. I mean, they got the word out about the defensive backs, and those defensive backs listened. I mean, we've been talking about Brisker, Rudolph, Wilson as heavy Penn State leans for some time, but you apply a little pressure, that's what happens. And, you know, every school does it. And, you know, you can talk about these kids wanting to take visits or wanting to be in the right position and see all the schools and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you have a strong inkling inkling of where you're going to go and you've got a little pressure at your back, you're probably going to jump on board. And that's that's what's happening. I mean, Penn State would have liked to have done that with offensive linemen around the blue-white game with Salim Wormley visiting three times in four yeah. weeks or whatever it was. Um, but it just didn't happen that way. But it did happen with the defensive backs. And now we're seeing the end of it play out with, with Lewisine visiting next weekend. All right. What's going to happen week two? What's going to play out then? Uh, you know, I think Penn State's going to win, but we, we can talk a little bit more about that. It's going to be a night game at Pitt. It's going to be... Uh, whew, man, that's going to be an interesting. I think uh, it's going to be a phenomenal atmosphere. I think it's going to be a very good atmosphere. Yeah. And you know, we were there too. For those years. that make it to the game, I think it's going to be a tremendous. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the problem. You know what I loved in this process too, because the prime time was not officially announced until I want to say a couple of weeks ago. Before then, though, the Pirates moved what was supposed to be, I believe, a night game against the Marlins to one o'clock. Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, okay, this is going to be Penn State Pitt at night. They're doing them a favor. Then you ask like Sandy or whomever the Pitt AD, and they go, well, we're not aware of what the Pirates are doing. Like good one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. You get six home games. You're, you have 12 overalls, Penn State. You know, you're not going to try to make sure everything's, um, you know, as big as possible from a money perspective. And, you know, going prime time, you don't get any bigger in week two. And for Penn State, this is great because, again, you know, you, you go back to the Iowa game, their Big Ten opener week four last year. You know, Saquon Barkley was always going to have a great Heisman campaign. That, though, put him on the map to such a greater degree, I think, because of the extra eyeballs because of prime time. And when you look at their non-conference schedule, you don't have, you know, a, a real Heisman contender. You know, Mike Sawyer is on the outside this season, but it draws more eyeballs to you when those first three weeks, no one's really paying attention to Appalachian State, unless it's for the wrong reasons. You, Same you for think, Kent State. Well, hold on. You think he's on the outside? Yeah, outside of the top three or, or okay. 
Okay, five. I can go with that. Yeah, you know, would I say would I bet he's going to New York this season? Probably not. Also takes into consideration the defense he's going to face, and you're replacing three NFL players at skill position. So, getting back on topic, okay. it, it's a primetime game. It's potpourri. Yeah, <laughs> it is a potpourri episode. It, it's a big deal in that, again, you're going to be drawing eyes from a variety of different places. You've got a young team on the road for the first time, and, and you should have not a favorable crowd, but enough people there that are going to travel and support Penn State. When they were there two years ago, it was the largest sporting event in Penn, uh, Pittsburgh history. In terms of crowd size. Right. So I think this should be bigger and better here at night. I think it'll be uh, closer to that first meeting in 2016 than we saw last year when, again, Penn State only won by 19 here in Happy Valley. But probably should have won by more. It wasn't close. It it wasn't wasn't close. close. Yeah. This should be. Okay. I think closer. Yeah, it'll depend a lot on Kenny Pickett. I know you're going to talk about him um, going in and go, going into your pit week uh, spiel here. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to depend on Kenny Pickett. going to depend on how quickly that defense can gel, that second level of defense especially uh, for Penn State. And if they can, you know, stop that running game because Pitt, you know, they're, they're going to try and continue to hammer. I mean, they did it down three touchdowns last year going to continue to try and hammer it with the running game and Penn State's a little bit more vulnerable up the middle of this year they are you know last season you had Penn State bring back just a, a ton of defensive starters in this case it's now it's Pitt with nine most of those in the front seven in fact all of those in the front seven where they add uh, middle linebacker which suspended all last year who should start for them so again you can go onto the site find all the names and, and figure out where this is going to go you know their pass defense I think still is a little bit porous um, Penn State maybe too but again their focus is going to be on the run where Pitt did a very good job of staying on schedule, couldn't generate big explosive plays, but Pickett's presence, I think, helps that. He started towards the end of last year, was key in their win over Miami at home that kind of set the Hurricanes off track from when they beat Notre Dame, and then they're on this maybe college football playoff discussion, and they get knocked out by Clemson uh, handily in the ACC championship game. Pitt was 5-7. and seven. I wouldn't expect a much different season from them this year, 6-6, six and six, maybe 7-5. and five. But again, they're at home now. It's at night. You've got a better quarterback. The most important position in the field that's improved from a year ago, and your defense will be better. Like right. they, I think they're going to give Penn State a little bit more trouble on the ground than you'd expect, and that goes both ways. Yeah, and the way that Narduzzi is a uh, approach the game over the last couple of years. I mean, they're not going to show anything week one. I think what they lost to or almost lost to Youngstown Youngstown State State the last time around. So um, I don't think you're going to see much tape on Pickett, which I think once you get Kenny Pickett more and more on tape, he's probably going to be a little bit easier to stop. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's it's a situation where I agree with you. I think the game can be close. I think a lot of Penn State fans are expecting a four touchdown blowout or whatever. I I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be close. That's really, (laughs) because anytime there's a word that's basically not negative said about Pitt it's taken as this like glowing review I'm not here to say Kenny Pickett is going to be one of the best starters in the country right. or one of the better starters in the country what I'm saying is at that position he's better than Max Brown and I feel very comfortable saying that. so basically Kenny Pickett is above Trace in that Heisman race right? yeah, is what yeah, you're saying, yeah yeah he's in the top three top five <laughs> yeah um, but you know it, it should be a closer game by all accounts you never know early in the season but in terms of the factors that you know feed into that uncertainty and that unknown and possibly negatively so for Penn State a younger team here question marks in an area where Pitt is going to hammer away at the interior of the defense and you're on the road and it's prime time and you know they're looking to kind of get their last you know serving revenge here at home you know you never know I would expect a line I don't think it's come out we had a couple come out Ohio State came out opening line came out probably 10 and a half seems about fair to me maybe a little bit higher yeah um but that 10 to 14 range is probably where I put it right now um you can certainly change uh 
Probably not a game day game. Clemson at Texas A&M that weekend. Georgia at South Carolina. UCLA, Oklahoma. USC at Stanford. Yeah. So Penn State, Pitt, probably down that list just because Pitt you know, doesn't bring the the viewership and the and the record from last year. So I th- that's a that's a good looking slate for week two. That's a really good slate. Yeah, I think Georgia, South Carolina was just announced for three thirty. So that'll be that'll be an interesting one because that's going to have some some very big impact on the SEC race. The other part about Pitt is you know this is going to be Pat Narduzzi's team from a defense. Defensive standpoint, they're going to run that aggressive quarters coverage defense, try to get nine in the box, and, and usually one on one coverage on the outside. But they brought in Randy Bates as their new defensive coordinator because there's left town. He knows something about Penn State. He knows a lot about Penn State, and he was a linebackers coach, I believe, co defensive coordinator, maybe associate head coach, one of those kind of empty. But hey, they're a little he had more fourteen titles to, at Northwestern. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Randy Bates does a very good job defending spread offenses, and did so last year at Northwestern against Penn State. They were the first team. I mean, Indiana does a good job year in and year out. But when you talk about teams that Penn State didn't have success against and you wondered why, that was the starting point. Right. You know, big run against Michigan, they break out. Then they have trouble against Ohio State and Michigan State. Ohio State and Michigan State last year were, were incorporating some of the elements that Northwestern rolled out there and stopped Penn State with on the ground. Uh, with a lot lesser talent than right. you saw in Columbus and East Lansing. So Randy Bates brings really good experience, really applicable experience. Again, a, a better front seven than you saw a year ago. Pitt's defense was about uh, just a hair below average. It should be a hair above average this season. Um, low scoring game, I don't want to say, but intriguing definitely for three, three and a half quarters. Yeah, I think so. I'm, and I think from the Pitt aspect, uh, from where Narduzzi came from, the buzz that he had two years ago when they beat Penn State or whatnot – they just haven't recruited enough guys. You know, they, they, yeah. they've got athletes, they've got guys in spots, and I liken them to to a Maryland maybe a couple of years ago where you've got some talent, some spots, and you've got, uh, you know, guys that can make plays, but at the same time, you don't have across the board the talent to hold together. So I think that's where that, that probably two-touchdown difference is probably going to come from. Yeah, a lot more in-depth breakdowns on the site. Go see offense versus defense and then defense for Penn State versus Pitt's offense. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, everyone wants to get to the opener. There's no doubt about it. Appalachian State wrote about them last week. Solid team coming back. Question is a quarterback for them, um, but it's it's going to be a good couple of weeks to get this team ready. Everybody's going to be focused on Pitt. I mean, you talk about Appalachian <laughs> State all you want, and you know the See, I, <laughs> the upset was there years ago. But everybody's going to be focused. See, on James Pitt. is going to tell you differently. My only question is: Does you go App State, App State, App State, App State, or Appalachian State, Appalachian State, Appalachian State, Appalachian State? Oh wow, we got uh, predict the presser coming up already. Ooh. Anyway, okay. calm down. All right, so Pitt. You know, I think if you had to name one rival for Penn State, and this has been a question asked for more than a decade about who is Penn State's rival. Right. Pitt's the easy one to point to. You can't really say that now knowing with Sandy Barber confirming, listen, after 2019 being next season, they're not going to schedule Pitt again at the earliest until about 2030. Right. Which, again, is just a random date she threw out there. The point is, see you in, you it's know, not in a couple a decades. Yeah. So, to me having only played them after next season is over four times in about the last 20 years, that removes any element of your definitive rival. Right. So to me, you're probably not going to have another one unless you, you develop more history, which is going to give your series meaning. There's obviously some history there with Pitt. Um, and you've got to be close geographically because you share recruiting grounds and there's just a more easily fostered kind of hatred there right. with fans. I mean, there there's is, a reason there is hatred. There. Yeah. Auburn, Alabama, there's history, but they're really close. Ohio State, Michigan, same deal. Red Sox, Yankees, go to any sport. Duke, North Carolina, there's history and geography shared. So for Penn State to have a real rival, I think they've got to be close. I think they've got to be good. I think they've got to play in consecutive years or in a smaller span, which to me limits the pool really in the next 10 seasons to Virginia Tech 
or West Virginia. Right. Which of the two, in your mind, would be more likely to develop a rivalry with moving forward? I, I think Virginia Tech, but the only issue I have with that is you play them in 2020 and then you don't play them again until 2025. So yeah. from a, from a program standpoint, you know, they're West Virginia's out in the Big 12 now for whatever reason. Virginia Tech, you're recruiting against a little bit more, um, probably the same type of school. Um, where, whereas you look at West Virginia and you, you talk about the academics and everything at West Virginia, um, so it's a school you don't want to be lumped in with it, it, when you're talking academics. So I see Virginia Tech. I think Fuentes a good coach. I, I think he's having a little trouble getting started because they're, they're they're sort of stagnant and they're recruiting right now. Um, but from a program standpoint, I think it's Virginia Tech. The only the only hiccup there is you don't play him. You, you play him in twenty twenty. You don't play him again for five years. And that's my biggest hiccup. If the contract holds, I mean that's the thing, right? Because again, you look at, at West Virginia. That's twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. So you've got back to back games. You know, Happy Valley or down in Morgantown. It's it's really not hard to get rowdy and a right. little out of control. Right. Uh, they might burn a few more couches down there, but. I think there, you know, you've got the geography. There's not so much as I understand it, no overlapping recruiting footprint. But I mean, they'll come up here, and Penn State will, will go down there. Um, you know, they of course had the big rivalry with Pitt's backyard brawl that fell apart once they split conferences, and that's going to be the big obstacle too. Is that you look at Big Twelve, their focus is all down on those teams ranked, you know, eleven, twelve, mostly ten personnel offenses. Their base is like nickel and dime, and Penn State's still in the Big Ten. East, where like, you might be base nickel, but they're more power running teams. Like right. they're just have very different focuses, and I don't know if there's going to be a lot of overlap there. Yeah. But to me, that would I would give them the edge. The more obvious answer, which is I think is still probably a decade away, would be Maryland. You're going to see them every year. You definitely overlap with recruiting grounds and are close geographically. But sixty six to three kind of says a big fat yeah, no I mean, to that. And Penn State fans don't want to be associated with a rivalry with Maryland, with a rivalry right. with Rutgers. They want to be associated more with Ohio State. And there's a problem there too because you've got yeah. Michigan. Hundred years going of away. history. Yeah. Right. So it's really tough. I mean, can can you can you formulate a rival? I, I really don't think so. I mean, you've got you've got a couple good teams in the Big Ten, but Michigan State's not going to do it for anybody. I mean, they tried the Land Grant Trophy, and that's obviously the best trophy. And in even sports. they would say Michigan too. And you can't really argue with that. Yeah, I mean, Michigan's got Ohio State. Ohio State's got Michigan. That's not going to change any time. You know, Penn State can can go out and beat Ohio State four out of five times, and Michigan can lose to them five straight, and it's still not going to be the same. No, it's not going to happen. That's never going to change. Yeah. They they have you know running clocks in their respective buildings. Or at least Ohio State does, counting down to the Michigan game. Right. It's known as the game. Like you don't get any more rivalry. Gonna, I mean, than Penn, the game. Penn State. Ohio State is the program you want to compete with. Ohio State is the program you want to have the same success as, or try you, to you, you know, try to replicate it. But it's just not going to happen as a rivalry. Rivalry. You know. No. You, you know, if you if you get three rivals, there you go, put them in. But yeah. it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, so it's still on hold. Pitt would have been the obvious choice. Um, Penn State simply says we don't want to play you. Yeah, I mean that's as simple as that. I mean, I, I like the game, but that's just you know I think it's a pretty cool thing. But it, it it's not for everybody, and I can see why. I can see why Penn State doesn't want to do it. I can see why Pitt. Yep. You know. We'd love nothing more than to play. And that's that's fine. It's the season ticket numbers. I mean, you haven't heard about Pitt season tickets from 2017. There's a reason for that. I mean, you've heard about the 2016 being trumpeted. You're probably going to hear about 2018 trumpeted. It is what it is. It is. So... So we really didn't make up any ground there, but I, None think, I, think, I, I no. think West Virginia, Penn State um, w- would be an interesting dynamic. If you flip the dates, I think Virginia Tech would be the the, the obvious choice there. Um, if you put West Virginia in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty fifteen, uh, that I think that's fair. But do Virginia Tech and Virginia play every year? They do. 
See, that's another option. Virginia Tech doesn't want to to associate with Virginia. I mean, nobody – that's the thing. Nobody – everybody wants rivals. Nobody wants to associate with somebody that that everyone wants to look up. Desires beneath them, you know? Right now, Penn State fans don't want to do that with Maryland, don't want to do that with Pitt, don't want to do that with Syracuse, don't want to do that with Rutgers. Syracuse. Yes. I I was being nice. I just threw threw Syracuse in there. But you know who you're talking to. I know who I'm talking to. 2013, you kind of love here. (laughs) <laughs> um, moving on. All right. Stupid Penn State power rankings. Again, UConn one doesn't have a football rival, by the way. No, they, they do not. Bryant uh, has a program now. They could probably. Wow. Yeah. Listen, they're they're bad, but not that bad. <laughs> Bryant's on the rise. They got a good coach. Anyway. Also, in the American, I don't know if you can have a rivalry because your teams are all just been picked from large TV I markets. I didn't even know they were an American anymore. <laughs> really? What no, I, did, yeah. I did know that. But they're, they, they've just gone through so many things with the Big East and all that kind of stuff. It's just it's crazy. Yeah. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah. Um, moving on. So, stupid Penn State power rankings. One of our more popular segments, especially of the offseason, in recent memory. These are a lot of fun. We didn't do them next week, uh, but we've got one now. And I think these have kind of evolved a little bit like the original of course was ranking Penn State players as bouncers moving on to Penn State assistants as Fortnite players um where would the Avengers fit in in this roster huge story breaking Tuesday night where Sixers GM Brian Colangelo was found out crazy story and you know the evidence is circumstantial but overwhelmingly so that he's had five burner Twitter accounts that he has used over the last few years to a criticize his own players b feed out information that's otherwise not known beyond the Sixers front office uh, criticize former colleagues get after Sam Hinkie and defend his oversized collars right so I mean it's it's insane like, burner accounts, I get. I've got seven of them. But, no, I, I get from a standpoint of, you know, fluffing up or something. like. But putting out information that's, you know, detrimental to your team or going to change the outset or, dra- or strategy of your team, come on, man. What are you doing? It's, it's unbelievable. And I had the same initial reaction that you've heard from the likes of Woj or people who've talked to people in the NBA. Was about, that to tweet that you don't have a burner account because everyone ever has <laughs> No, I said my account day. was your burner account. That's what I said. Yeah. No, it was – the reaction within the NBA is the same one that I had initially in that you think about this GM of one of 30 NBA teams who's been a basketball lifer to spend so much time being so petty and presumably he's this intelligent, he's hardworking guy. Yeah. But he suffers the same you know maladies that the rest of us do and to a much greater degree. So the bottom line is you can't assume someone in such a high position is particularly knowledgeable or intelligent or anything about them because people get to their positions all different ways. I mean personally, and this is again getting further off track here, I would like to think that people listen to this podcast because of the remarkable reporting you do with recruiting that I've shown in the last year and a half, I do a pretty good job on my end too. It's yeah. not that, hey, you know, 24-7 sports is a big brand. They're there. Obviously, they must know what they're doing because to be honest, not all 24-7 sites are created equal. Right. Moving back, um, it, you think about it for a second go, this just is so petty. It's so stupid and so hilarious. Now, if there's any sport that captures all of those three things at the same time better than all the others, it's college football. So moving on with the petty, stupid, and what was the last thing I said? Probably insecure. Just, yeah. No, just hilarious. Hilarious. Um, what coach in the Big Ten, we'll rank them here, Okay. you think is most likely to have burner accounts that start at the bottom? I went with Jeff Brom. Uh, he's got oh. burner accounts to make everyone aware of Purdue football. <laughs> I mean, that's just – that's what it is. I, I think okay, so we're going to throw in an explanation here because, like, we talked we're about why We're going to quick through these. Uh, okay. I think I think Brom's a great coach, and I think that he's really doing some good, very good things at Purdue, and I think he's going to be at Purdue longer than most people think he will be because they're dumping money into there. But, yeah, I mean, he's got to make people aware of Purdue football. Okay, number five for me, 
you strapped in for this? Yes. I hope people in the car are strapped in. Uh, Kirk Ferris. Now, not because I think he knows how to use Twitter properly or I think that he cares what other people think, but because I think his limited interaction with Twitter is going to be what most of us see on an everyday basis of trolls and people speaking negatively. Yeah. So he just doesn't know any better but to engage and then see stuff and say, I'll show you, but no one has to know because why would you ever think it's Kirk Ferentz and he's got this disguised burner account. Okay. I thought you were just going to go with he forgot his password and just had to keep <laughs> creating ones. Um, Paul Chris, not very interesting guy. He's probably a really? crazy, crazy person on the internet. You know, like a lot of these I people. I took him off my list because I thought Kirk Ferentz was out there, but Paul Chris, like – like I said, he's, he can't be bothered with much. Yeah. So people he doesn't know on the internet seem far down the list. All but right. I, I would probably my top two for love that if it were true. All right. Um, number four on my list, DJ Durkin from Maryland. Fiery guy. I think he doesn't get as much credit as he probably deserves just from a, a football acumen and coaching standpoint. But again, they, they lost a ton last year at Maryland. They've had the worst injury luck at quarterback ever. But – Playing more to the fiery side of him. He would respond to every oh single troll. Oh, my God. And you know what? Maryland fans have had such ammunition over the years that if they haven't gotten to the point of just being apathetic, they're going to let him have it. Right and he's yeah. going to be like – you know, he's a guy who, who went uh, white a little bit younger than most. So he probably gets some about that of having just white hair. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe it's a sensitive spot. And what's he going to do about it? you meant by that. Going to have a burner <laughs> account to say, listen, like if anything, that shows he's working harder and that's where the, the gray hair comes from. And you should be lucky to have him as your head coach. Durkin's my number three because uh, Maryland fans tend to live in my mentions, and I assume really? Durkin's probably two or three of those guys. Yeah. Nice. And what, do you, what do you think is uh, if you had to pick of one of the names that live in your mentions, who is he? Probably DJ DJ. I don't know. Oh, DJ no. D. I don't know. That'd be an awful name to disguise yourself. At least, <laughs> least Colangelo is obvious. Eric Jr. Um, number three for me was Chris Ash. Similar reasons for DJ Durkin. You're in a small market. You kind of need people to you know, know that Rutgers is playing football. And boy, do they have a ton of ammunition against you. So at some point, you just go, I'm fed up with this. Right. And you're fed up with the losing, but you're also fed up about hearing about it. How do I get back at people without seeming like I'm unhinged? Well, you do it very secretly and have a bunch of burner accounts to get back at Rutgers fans. Number two, PJ Fleck. Um, I, the, the guy doesn't sleep. He's got to do something. He filled up with Twitter. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got endless energy. He just goes for it. And he, for some reason, follows me. So, whatever. Really? Yeah. He's, just, uh, I'm not sure. I just I saw that pop up a couple weeks ago. How so. many people does he follow? I'm not sure. I, I just saw that. It's on, not a lot. You just kind of, it's like the no, Twitter is, version of a name drop. This is from back when he was like Rutgers or something. Oh, I mean, so this, this is years ago. So Yeah, but this, you're only making it worse. All right, you're number two. <laughs> that was the, the Twitter name drop. Anyway, uh, Mark D'Antonio, I think... Again, just outwardly, just sometimes to the point of being indignant about the questions he's asked or displeased with the things that are going on generally with his team. You know, I don't think he has a real problem with venting that, but maybe he doesn't get enough chance to vent that uh, to people beyond his building. So when he's done with the press conferences, perhaps he just hops on Twitter and lets it all out there. Following 3,600 people, by the way, including me. PJ. Is, is PJ Fleck following you? Yes. Wow. I, that is new information. I'm learning for the first time. He's been, how long he's been following. Anyway, my number one, and you hate my number one pick, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. He's Jim Harbaugh. I think everyone listening loves your number one pick. I think that that's the obvious choice, but you made a great point. Go for it. He simply doesn't care what other people think. Right. And you know this because of what he says. You right. know this because he drinks milk with his steak, and I believe that steak is well done. Uh, and he's a man who should – 
not often be photographed shirtless throwing a football around, but there he was, I think, with recruits and also one time having one over for sleepovers as Penn State fans who have fought recruiting all know. Yeah. So to me, he's he would be last on my list of Big Ten coaches. Like he's like literally Kiffin. last. K- Kiffin doesn't give a damn. I mean, you just know, doesn't give a bleep. Yeah. It's just you're right. You're right. But I'll go with Harbaugh because that's what the masses want. They want it to be Harbaugh. <laughs> Uh, PJ Flag is my number one for many of the reasons you just said. I think he's just, you know, uh, I'm not going to say a whole lot, but, you know, we had our 24-7 sports conference a couple of uh, weeks ago in Nashville. Great event. Get to meet a lot of other people who run the other sites. A few of the, the Minnesota folks I got to chat with and you learn what people are like behind the scenes. From my conversations with them, I think he just fits the profile for this better than anyone else yeah. on the list. Um, you know, it's just something I could, I could see happening, yeah. especially if they lose. Like, you know, it's a very – Outwardly positive, you need to hear about his program. A ton of offers going out there. I think more than anyone else in the conference. Um, just Except Nebraska, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, Scott Frost could be on this list too. Oh, people love Scott Frost, though. Scott Frost loves Scott Frost. I mean, college football coaches, man, the, some of the most in, insecure bunch on the on the planet. But no, I think PJ fits that. Yeah, I'm not surprising at all. That's yeah. number one. Okay, right. this was good. Mailbag, mailbag. All right. Uh, so you touched upon this earlier. People want to know about the defensive tackles. There isn't one signed yet. Can you just go through the top targets of who Penn State is looking at? Yeah, I think they're starting to formulate their list and, and jockeying for position because there were guys, you know, Rodas Johnson had a crystal ball run. I didn't put mine in. Um, but Penn State's only going to take one, maybe two. And I think Penn State fans, uh, the way that defensive tackle recruiting has gone in the past, um, they're, they're wary of this thing. And beyond that, defensive tackle is a big question mark this year. So you think that that's, that's where you got to recruit. It's not, not happening. necessarily the the, the – the response. I mean, they signed three last year and mustard for Culpepper and Aeneas Hawkins, who we wrote about on the site last week, is up 290 pounds. Um, so th- they don't need numbers there, uh, but they still want to grab one, maybe two, if he's a flex guy that can play inside out, really athletic guy. I think Mozzie Smith is probably their top target. They had him in for a visit for the official uh, weekend of the blue-white game. Um, the, he's the guy that's been trying to chip away at Michigan. I still think he ends up at Michigan, but Penn State's made it a game at least. Uh, Hakeem Beeman we talked about a little bit before. He's probably only about 255 pounds right now, so he's got a ways to go. But he's an, he's got a great athletic base, sort of like a Damian Barber when he was okay. uh, in, in Harrisburg. He, he can play end. He's probably forecasted as an end for a lot of, uh, a lot of different schools, but he's going to be a tackle just based on his measurables and things like that and a guy that i keep bringing up jared harrison hunt in new york city at christ the king he's been on campus several times was just on campus a few weeks ago just a a really good athletic base he's a basketball player and i think sean spencer loves those type of guys you can get a basketball player in there and you can be a a good athlete at defensive end and and an excellent athlete as a defensive tackle and he wants to bring those guys in that are maybe 250 260 pounds build them up play on that athleticism and see what he can get out of them so those are the three that i go with right now okay uh same ditto Ghetto? Agreed. You, got, you on that? That's actually exactly what I was going to say. Very good. Very but, good take. Um, so glad we're on the same page. Biggest change you suggest to the staff if you were brought on? Say you're a consultant. Say you're a guy that uh, you know. James Franklin said, "Hey, what can we do to make this better outside of new carpet and paint in the Lash Building?" Yeah, this is a great question. This was dropped on our message boards, and you could go in a variety of different directions here. So I'm going to go in two as much as the question dictates. You want one answer. One I know is not going to really satisfy. The second one I think everyone can get on board with. The first one 
again, this comes from a media perspective, admittedly, and a guy who is, you know, watches a lot of tape and film. I think Penn State would serve itself by being a little bit more open to media access when it comes to watching film with coaches. And I'm not saying necessarily on a one-on-one basis, but there have been multiple instances, even at the NFL level, where they'll hold, you know, small clinics, essentially, of inviting the media in. This is why we do what we do. You could keep it to one or two plays or explain you know, answers to questions that people have had in the past that are really fundamental. And I know and I explained that's because I take an inordinate amount of time to learn, you know, why don't they go under center? Why is there a read component to almost every single run that they have? How does a true RPO works? Why, when Saquon Barkley took a direct snap, was it not the Wildcat against Michigan? Like, if you're able to just have that's an funny, hour. I never heard you talk about that. Before. Yeah. <laughs> if, they, if you could take an hour and pick out the only plays that you want and, and totally structure this in a way that wouldn't be harmful to Penn State, you could illuminate a variety of different things that come up and, and produce a lot of misinformation out there where people have to go off a little bit of sound bites, little clips and interpret, you know, wrongfully. And then that spreads to people who read them. So an hour, again, the, the Colts GM did this about, these are the guys we picked. This is why we like them. Went through film clips of every single one. You don't have to do that with your kids. Again, these are 18 to 22 year olds, but you know, zone read stuff, RPOs or a particular blitz. That way the players don't get the blame on game day when they shouldn't. I think we've all, you know, been there, done that. Um, yeah, and, I think that's a good point. I think there's a lot of flack that, that goes around because of the lack of information, you know, misinformation, lack of information, whatever you want to call it. I think that that's, that comes back on the players. And, and James Franklin, when he came to Penn State, said, hey, blame me. You know, don't even blame my assistants. Blame me. And you just, you just can't you can't do that. You can't get away from that. There's always has to be something other than the head coach screwed up. Well, he's also not calling plays. Right. So, you know, early on it was his system, not so much anymore. But you just can't go to the head coach as much as he says, listen, put me on the cross. Like, it just that's not how this works. So if there's an hour or two, I mean, they take clinics out for, you know, the high school coaches in the state. You know, they have their women's clinic. Obviously, the players coming through get some tech. So some more exposure to the media. I put in multiple requests to say, hey, listen, just one-on-one film stuff with so-and-so coach stuff can be off the record. It's all been denied. And I get that to a degree. I think the last film piece was done two summers ago, Chris Godwin's catch in the 2014 bowl game against Boston college. Like that was two year old work and it was one play and no one ever really needs to know anything, but it's just, uh, I think fans would benefit. The media would have a better understanding. And then he doesn't have to deal with questions of like, you know, again, why is there a delay with the handoff? It's because, well, there's more to it than that. Maybe giving the media too much credit. Yeah. Yeah. I should (laughs) But anyway, so that's the one that wasn't supposed to satisfy. Maybe my explanation uh, did a little bit more so. The one that I would say, and I think they're already on board with this, is is do the alternate, you know, retro hybrid throwback uniform Love every it. single year. Love Last it. year's was a huge hit. It was awesome. You could yeah. sell it. You can make money. You can make different tweaks to every year. It's going to be hot with the kids because it's something new. It's different. You know, you can't just sell it Penn State on tradition anymore. All the programs you're competing with in the top 10, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, you name them, they all have tradition too. What are you going to do to be different, to be edgy, to be new? And I think those those uniforms against Indiana last year were fire. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I really don't have much of an answer to this because, you know, I, I just keep going back to facilities. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I'm a big facility guy in terms of following what everybody's doing. And, and just if you look across the country, Penn State's behind, you know, just coming out in the last couple of weeks, Northwestern, 
Missouri. I mean, oh my God, that's not where they should be. Um, and I don't write the checks and I'm not telling people to write the checks, but Penn state's behind for, for a reason. So, um, I, I, I'm a big facilities guy in terms of, um, you know, improving the experience for your football players. And I know that's not fair to, uh, field hockey and, you know, soccer and all, you know, just all those other sports. Well, they've got the first step of the facilities master plans underway for them anyways. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think about Penn state on a, on a level that they're playing and a level that they're performing based on where they're at in the facilities game and the, the arms race. And, you know, it's not the greatest thing for college football, but, you know, you're, that's the ball game you're in. you gotta, you got to, you know, spend a little bit to, to, to flash things up. And, you know, I feel kind of cheap saying that, but at the same time, that's what everybody else is doing. And, yeah, that's what you got to keep up with. So, What would be the number one, like, luxury amenity dude, you dude, would want installed? The guy on the board that suggested the lazy <laughs> river that you swim up to the Chick-fil-A is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And if you want to recruit like Alabama, if you want to recruit like Clemson or Ohio State, a lazy river with a swim-up Chick-fil-A, I'm there, man. Also, the barber shops I know are big. Well, they've got a barber. I mean, they've got a barber that's, I believe, going to stay for another year or signed on for another – I don't know. I I retweeted it while I was on vacation. Oh, good. Um, So, yeah, they've got got a barber. They've got things that are are going in that direction. You know, the bones are good. I mean, the the facilities are good. They're working on some stuff with turf and with, you know, Haluba and all that kind of stuff. They put – giant uh white backdrops around haluba to get rid of the the skeleton look of it or whatnot but so so the bones are good you've got good space to work with just uh you know it, a little flash never hurt anybody i mean that's no. just my opinion now did you retweet the note about the barber from your account because i didn't see that or was this one of your your burners <laughs> that's a that's a good question that's a good, it was probably one. i mean i was on vacation so i'm not sure what i tweeted <laughs> half the time so but anyway Another good episode of the Lions 24 7 yeah, podcast. The 30 minute episode that we set out to do is now going on 44. So I'm going to extend that to 45. Uh, you just came back from vacation. I'm not going to be on vacation, but I will be out of the state next week and maybe for two weeks. Okay. So uh, this is going to be it for us for a little while. Yeah, and big recruiting weekend coming up. So just abandoning everyone, aren't you? Yeah. Well, you can get a guest on. All right. That's fantastic. I can do that. So, all right, we're not sure when we'll be back, but we will be back on iTunes. Check us out on there. Rate us. uh, Say good things about us. And I guess we will talk to you next time on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Yeah, keep those mailbag and uh, stupid Penn State power rankings coming. Surgical Summer Volume 1. We're going to take this slow. We're just going to peel it back layer by layer.